Right now, it's on the next level. Are you on the level? Welcome, Primers, into another episode of the DC Primetime Podcast, what we are calling our Silver Age Issue 2. Uh, from the Showcast Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network, I am Ben Beck. And from the Captain Pods, I am Rob And, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny that I mentioned from the Showcast Spotlight, because honestly, I think I'm going to be reformatting that podcast relatively soon. Uh, not, it's still going to be a celebrity interview podcast, but I think I'm going to open it up to, uh, you know, like YouTube personalities and just, just interesting people in general. They don't have to be famous. And I think that might be a better way to go, especially since it's just me now doing it. And I might change the name as well. But uh, again, plans and discussion for another day. Our Silver Age, spectacular number two. This time around, we're going to be talking about... Uh, the 1966 classic Batman film with Adam West and Burt Ward, as well as a number of other people, uh, Burgess Meredith and Cesar Romero, Cesar yeah. Romero, Frank Gorshin, um, a, a bunch of great uh, people. Although I think, correct me if I'm wrong, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the movie, but um, Lee Merriweather, I think, was Catwoman. Was she only for the movie? Uh, or was God, she a portion God. of the show as well? I think she had a small portion in the show, too. Because eventually it became Julie Newmar. Right. Well, there was three Catwomen, so. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking, actually, I'm looking at Lee Merriweather's, um, Lee Merriweather's. Two episodes of the, uh, the TV. Yep, you beat me to so, it. Yep. <laughs> you beat me to it. So, not many, but, hey, man, she got the, the honor of being Catwoman in the movie, which is something I know a lot of people still love to this day. Uh, but we're going to talk about the, obviously, the 1966 Batman, and, of course, the wonderfulness that is the 1978 Richard Donner Superman, which, man, it was so much fun, and a, a piece of my childhood just going back and rewatching. Yeah, that movie. it's been a very, very, very long time for me going back, back to check that out, and, uh, man, that was a... That was a good time. It was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, so it's, you know, we're in the midst of our summer episodes, and which means we're going to be doing a lot of these kind of things for the next couple weeks, at least. We do have a couple other things in the works that we're going to be getting to timeline-wise. I don't know when we're going to be getting to them. It's a matter of how schedules work out. Uh, we have one thing pretty fun that we're working on right now that could come together by next week, which you might be hearing next week. If not possibly two weeks out but we do have a backup plan for next week so i can't tell you what we're doing next week because it's really one of two things at this point don't want to let you down and also don't want to spoil a surprise exactly so uh the only thing we can tell you is just keep an eye on the facebook page facebook.com slash dc primetime because the moment we uh we get confirmation that this one thing we're working on this this pleasant surprise that we're working on is going to happen uh we'll let you know so that you make sure you don't miss out on next week's podcast but you should listen either way either way we'll, we'll make it fun 
Uh, but how do we how do we want to approach this? Obviously, we're going to start with Batman 1966. But I guess do we want to treat this as we do any other movie we're reviewing for the first time? Yeah, I guess so. Because I can't remember how we've handled the other Silver Ages that we did last summer. I, I guess do we? Go- I mean, we just kind of really just talk about it a little bit, uh, you know, and we we just give it kind of the way that we do finales and seasons where it's a one through ten, uh, sidekick hero legend as well. Uh, and then we'll just, I guess, just talk a little bit about both flicks. I mean, I think one of these is going to be a shorter conversation than the other. And, um, again, I, 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 am not going to say the dreaded curse that we, we constantly bring up that <laughs> this would be, be a shorter episode, it's be a shorter episode. Cause, um, it, it could go short. It could go long. I generally do not know. Um, but you know, we'll, 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 we'll take it in stride and see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so then we're going to start things off, as I mentioned, with Batman 1966. And obviously, this is a movie based on the television show Batman that, you know, was back in the 60s. Adam West portraying Batman, Burt Ward, Robin. But, I mean, such a, like, a phenomenal cast of, of characters. I mean, this is a movie that brought together, I don't, Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you don't even know because I don't know if you've seen the entire original series uh, back from the 60s. But other than the film, has there ever been another time during the run of the show that all of these four main villains were brought together? Um, I think there was a couple episodes where you saw small groupings of this cast, not in, in its entirety. But I think there was a couple, if memory serves correctly. It's Granted, it's been a very long time since I've gone through the entirety of that show. Uh, but I do think there was a couple where they, they did bring a few of them in together. So Okay, yeah, because it makes me – and, you know, when I look back at this movie and I think back to – one, I mean, like, I, I revel in the cheesiness of the of the movie. I mean, obviously, everything we've seen of Batman since this, starting with Keaton, you know, all the way up now to Aflac, the 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 character has taken a much darker turn, uh, very, you know um, – dark and brooding and and that kind of character and this was obviously very lighthearted and meant to be cheesy and a lot of fun i don't know if it was meant to be cheesy at the time uh but it certainly comes across that way now but it's it's wonderful in the way that it is now oh yeah absolutely so but i think it's because of this film that i grew up my entire life uh, you know enjoying Batman as I have and always thinking that the Joker, Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman were the four major villains of Batman. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this was a introduction to so many people growing up that are mid-30s uh, and older. Uh, that is, This, for a lot of people, was their Batman for a long time. I mean, you and I both kind of grew up at the time where things like Challenge of the Super Friends and uh, Superpowers and, you know, all those things were on TV um, you know, specials that we got to watch in addition to that were things like Batman meets Scooby-Doo and, and all those things or, yeah. you know, Superman, uh, you know, the animated Superman movies that, that were out there uh, that did collect some of those things that we, we probably rented at our local, you know, uh, neighborhood VHS rental shops. And in, in, in clamshell, no yeah, less. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, like, we've had a lot of these growing up. And um, one of the big key things I remember watching as a kid in syndication uh, either at my home or at my grandmother's house was watching, you know, Thundercats, Transformers, G.I. Joe. And I remember it was probably at like three o'clock or like four o'clock, whatever it was, watching two episodes back to back of 
1966 Batman that was usually then followed up by Gilligan's Island or something along those lines. And <laughs> those classics where I was just watching these old shows in syndication growing up. So I don't remember a time in my youth without Batman in some way, shape or form. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm pretty much the same way. I mean, it's pretty much been the same way for me with both Batman and Superman because I, I don't think there's ever been a time in my life. Actually, I know there hasn't been a time in my life that these characters have not been a part of uh, my childhood and not been a part of growing up. So it's always fun to go back and revisit all of these. And I mean, when you go back and you rewatch a movie like this, I mean, let's, let's take a look at the plot, for example. I mean, you have four, you know, four main villains and Catwoman at that degree could even for this was portrayed as a villain, but we've learned so much more growing up that she has not always been that way i mean there's been times she she's i'm trying to think of the word well i mean in, in, in the old 66 show she was always a femme fatale but she in a lot of other properties was kind of like uh, she she skated the line as kind of an anti-hero yeah but more more she was just she was on the wrong side of the law but she was more out for herself versus there to work with the other rogues and or 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 trying to kill batman she she had her own agenda, and a lot of times it caused her to, to again, break the law. But, you know, we've even seen recently the attempted uh, angle of marrying the two of them together in the comics, which, surprise, surprise, did not happen. But, um, but yeah, no, I know, I think, but this classic was, was always just showed that she was kind of more the villain character. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's funny too, cause I've been reading up a, a little bit of on some of like the, the trivia behind the film. And, you know, we talk about Catwoman a little bit while, while we're mentioning that it's something that I'd never really picked up on. Cause as a kid, you, when you're watching these movies, you're not watching for like the filmmaking aspect of things. You're not looking for, you know, the nitpicks and the goofs and things like that. You are engrossed in the story, no matter how horrible of a story it really is. I mean, come on, like they're freeze drying members of the UN. It's it's totally and utterly ridiculous, but it's it's so tongue in cheek that we we still love it to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's I, I reading a, a little bit into the movie itself. Um, filming of the movie actually began before they had even cast Catwoman for the role. So when you look at that opening scene of the movie when they're all together on um, uh, the Penguins. Um, uh, in like submarine. in the submarine, Catwoman is not a part of that scene because they had already started filming before they had even cast her. She really doesn't even come into the film until later. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. And the other thing I notice now as an adult, as I'm watching this movie, is the fact that Cesar Romero's mustache was always predominantly seen. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely. He always refused to shave it whenever he was doing that character. He said, yeah. I will absolutely not do it whatsoever. It was kind of one of his iconic trademarks about him. So, uh, yes, it never will. It never went away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could you could tell that it's there under the makeup. But, you know, again, at a time when we're younger, we're not paying attention to that kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you were uh, somebody that just recently went back and watched uh, Ninja Turtles, uh, the the one from the late '80s. You know, one and two. <laughs> uh, yeah, one and two. And you go back and watch them now on DVD quality or Blu-ray quality, and you very much see the seams and the zippers in those suits. Kid, you don't you see those things. You, you know? know what though? That's a little bit different because I, I really still to this day don't see that. 
I, in, it, when it comes to those movies. You have to, yeah, it's one of those things you have to be looking for it. It's one of those things, once that veil is pulled away over your eyes and somebody points it out to you, it's one of those things you can't not see. Which I think is why I haven't looked for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I completely avoid that. Like, to me... It takes some of the magic out of the movie. It, it does. And those movies still hold up to me. Like, I absolutely still love going back and watching the first two Ninja Turtles movies. The third one doesn't exist to me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's the same thing with these. Like, I love... Even though I know about these things... I still love going back and rewatching them. And while this movie doesn't exactly hold up uh, compared to other ones, when we talk about Superman, Superman to me, I don't know how you feel about this. Superman still holds up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of positives, but we'll get that in, into that when we, we get into Superman. I mean, I think the, the conversation that's got to happen around this film is going to be much more on the shorter side of things. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It was fun to still go back and and check this out again and kind of bring back those classic memories of watching this growing up. I mean, I I, I think I watched this more than a 1989 Batman movie growing up as a kid because I was so <laughs> used to this. Um, this was one of those early VHS tapes I had growing up as a kid, that, you know, next to like Indiana Jones and Back to the Future and all these things. Um, at a very young age, I think I had this by the time I was like four, four years old and watched it nonstop. Oh, I, I know I've lost count as to the number of times that I've seen this movie. It's one of those movies that when I, when I still had physical media, cause I don't have any physical media anymore, but when I had my Blu-ray collection, the moment I saw this was released on Blu-ray, even though I already had it on DVD, it was one of those insta buys that like, as soon as I saw it released, I was like, yep, I have to have this for my collection. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if I even never watch it. I have to, this is a perennial. It has to be part of my collection. Oh, no, I totally get that. Yeah, that's, there, there, there was always something special about this movie and it has how hammy it was and how many random bat vehicles that were in this. <laughs> I think no less than what, three? Was there three or four? In this uh, movie? well, we had the Batmobile, the bat boat, uh, um, the bat plane. The black plane. I think, what, well, I think there's a bat cycle. Oh wait, no, sorry. It was the it was the bats. It was sorry. It was the uh, bat boat. It was the Batmobile, the bat helicopter. That's it. it. Not, <laughs> yeah, it was in this one, and uh, and then I think the bat cycle was in. This I one think the bat well. cycle was in this one right. as well. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's just it's so much fun, and I love the fact that even in modern day now, with all the things that we get, there are still some ways that people still pay homage to this original. Uh, this original version of Batman. I mean, we, we look at like Batman Arkham Asylum or, or the Batman Arkham games. There are skins that you can download to one, drive the, the 1966 Batmobile, but two, also wear the 1966 Batman costume. Oh, yeah, and it looks so ridiculous in the Arkham universe. <laughs> it really does, but that's why I loved using it. I loved oh, yeah. playing with it. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was, there was uh, something very special about this, and it was, that's why it's, People will still go back and, and, and pay tribute to it because it was near and dear, and it it it, it kept that character al- alive at a time that no one thought it would stay alive. Um, and you know, Batman has been re reignited in new- numerous different ways so many times throughout our lives alone uh, and our parents' lives. So it's it was kind of cool to see how important and big this was and for how long it was. Yeah. Now I got to ask too, before we move on to Superman and we, we wrap things up, like what are some of your, I, cause I know one in particular that absolutely, I still quote to this day. Uh, but what are some of your favorite moments from this, from this film? Um, I got to say to this day, 
one of my favorite things still is the ridiculousness of the uh, bat anti shark repellent. <laughs> um, yes, because uh, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> kind of the special. Um, I mean, beyond that though, too, I, I, I just that 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 sequence is just is dumb as dumb can be, but I, I still absolutely adore it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I know yours, so. Uh, well, I mean, come on. Mine is when we, is the bomb on the dock. Um, the whole, him just trying to get rid of the bomb by throwing it over into the water and everything from people in boats to ducks and their ducklings are preventing him from throwing it. And you get the classic line, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. And it, that sticks out in my head so much so that when I was actually preparing to meet Adam West, which unfortunately I never did, I, I, he was at a convention that I was supposed to attend and I didn't go. Um, and now, unfortunately, I'll never get the opportunity, uh, you know, since he's recently passed. But my whole goal was I was actually going to take a dodgeball and paint, spray paint it black and put a little topper on it with a wick. And I was going to get him to sign that. Uh, and I was going to proudly display it and hope with, is his signature on it hopefully saying some days you just can't get rid of a bomb and <laughs> and yeah which has been some great also we could have list as some reviews for some recent episodes of shows and <laughs> and movies and and whatnot so. oh that's brilliant i don't know why we didn't think about that before but i mean there's just there's god there's there's so many like cheesy lines that just stick out for me as well i mean like you mentioned the bat shark repellent uh you know robin saying like holy sardine with the leg with the the shark attached to his leg um the cheesiness of the alter ego of penguin being pm gwyn oh yeah Uh, Uh, well yeah commodore yeah the the commodore mid lab stuff like some of the names that are just beyond ridiculous uh like it just just Dumb. Uh, this movie is dumb, but in the f- most fun ways. It goes back to the same way that I think if you listen to our review of the first um, Adam West animated movie, or The Return of the Cape Crusaders, we, we talked about it, it, this in, in the exact same kind of vein where it, it's it, it captured the imagination and kind of just ridiculousness so well to the point that it was so cheesy. It's, it's so to look at now, but it's still... It holds such a place, a special place in your heart. And this movie, as dumb as it is, man, it, it just still makes you laugh when you go back and watch how how ridiculous it, it was. Uh, but at the same time, though, it's hard not to have a smile on your face. It's like watching a, a, a you know a B movie uh, where you just hold near and dear to your heart, like something like Evil Dead. Um, it's so ridiculous, but you can't help but just adore and love it. And I, I this movie is one of those ones that will always be um something that's a, a, you know, a very pleasant and special special place in my heart permanently oh yeah yeah absolutely um yeah i i, I really don't know what else we can say about the movie i mean it's <laughs> not really uh, you know I, it's, it's not really perennial because the, the television show had already been out beforehand so this was really nothing new this was just basically they made a film version which, which in essence was like three or four episodes of the show they just brought together into an expanded storyline. So, you know, while it wasn't anything groundbreaking, it still holds a very special place. It wasn't. And I think the only thing that it's that one of the magics of that show that is lost here is what made Batman so much fun as a TV show is those to be continued. And you're like, oh, you know, when you were a kid and you you never saw it before, I'm like, what's going to happen in the next episode? 
well, we already always know what's going to happen on the next episode. Batman or Robin are going to break out of the trap, save the day. We'll see you same bat time next week. Same bat channel. You know, same bat time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you know that some of that exposition is missing here, but um, it, I, one of my favorite pieces in this movie to this day still, as well as when they're breaking down the riddle of who is all all the villains involved, and it is the biggest stretch of all. I, I, I hope this. They're like. It's like what a what a weird puzzle. Wait, they're like what's another name for a puzzle? A riddle, <laughs> and it's just kind of like, like <laughs> you're trying to force these four characters together in a single phrase so hard, and it doesn't work at all. And it's so ridiculous whenever you watch that scene with O'Hara and you know Gordon and, and you know Batman and Robin, and it's so this it, it's it, it's groan inducing and eye rolling, but it's this. <laughs> perfect. It yeah. so wonderful. It is. What else starts with C? A cat. You know, and you're like, <laughs> and you're like, your brain just hurts so bad when that's happening. And it's, oh god, it's, it's beautiful and wonderful and dumb and, man, it, it's something special. An exploding shark was pulling my leg. The Joker! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so ridiculous and it's, uh, but I still, to this day, I love it and I don't think, god, I don't... This whole thing happened at C. C? C for Catwoman. <laughs> it's it's like I love it. It's it, I don't think I'll ever tire of it. To be completely honest with you, and and hopefully, I really hope there's a day that comes that when I like this is something I'm showing my own kids and like like look this is what my fa- this is what my parents watched compared to and they'll probably hate it because of its cheesiness and its tongue in cheek. But I won't care. I'll still force but, them to sit down and watch it. But you know what though, I will say this: one of the reasons why this show actually is kind of important was it mirrors back to one of the other great Batman shows too, Batman Brave and the Bold. I don't think I would have enjoyed Brave and the Bold as much if I did not already come from a place of enjoying the 66 Batman TV show and movie so much because it's that same feeling. It's that 1950s feel and that 60s feel and aesthetic. Uh, it's that very wholesome nature while still being so over the top, which both shows absolutely did. And one of the highest scores we ever gave to was Brave of the Bold meets Scooby-Doo. I mean, like, it was all these things were worked so well because of what came before it being missed. So I, 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 I've got a very near and dear reverence for for this film and uh, and show. And uh, this film, it was the perfect encapsulation of everything that the show did and just kind of upped the scales and brought some of the biggest and best villains together in one, one screen. And it was just fantastic to watch. Yeah. Um, I, I've just come to a startling realization and this is, uh, this is something that you'll, you'll understand, but a lot of our listeners might not because they're not local to our area. Um, I'm looking at some of the memorable quotes from the film and I came across one that I knew was familiar and I couldn't pick up on it. Uh, we have a, a radio DJ in our area, uh, named Pierre Robert and one of his signature lines is great day in the morning. I didn't realize this, that line, that his signature line comes from Batman 66. Commissioner Gordon says it in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that that's where Pierre got it from. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. And I've known Pierre for years and I had no idea that's where that ever came from. I'm, I'm kind of like... Mind blown at this point. Again, <laughs> our listeners aren't going to understand that. They're they're not going to care because they don't know who Pierre is. But uh, still, it's it just kind of like 
it made me smile a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Made me smile. Um, so yeah, so anything else on this before we move on to the one I know we really want to talk about? Um, I, I still love it just at the end of uh, end of this movie when they save the day, the day, rehydrate the United Nations, and it doesn't all quite work out <laughs> quite too well. <laughs> and I love that they kind of like, well, we tried our best, and then it's kind of like dust off their hands. And we're like, well, that's the end of this movie. And I'm like, you just destroyed the world's way of communicating with each other completely. Yeah, I'm like. I would not say that you that that justice has prevailed. <laughs> so um, <laughs> exactly, but, it, but it, it still makes me smile on how ridiculous that sequence is. Yeah, and I love too. Like they like even one of the things that still makes me laugh is the point. Like the villains, even though they're trying to you know take over the world or whatever they might ha- whatever they're doing, there's still a moment in the movie where like they're sweeping up all the dust, like the the dehydrated UN members, and the penguin is like, "Careful, every one of them's got a mother." It's like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> you still throw that in there. Well, it's like, just, I love it. Oh yeah, as they're vacuuming them, them up, sweeping them up. I think one of them had a dustbuster. If memory serves correctly, I, you know, yeah, like, I can't remember. Oh god, there was, it's so ridiculous. It, it just <laughs> sticks out with me with Catwoman with the dustpan and broom. Mm. Um, you know, it just it just makes me think of that, and it's like there, it's it's cheesy again. We've said that you we've used that word a bunch, but I mean it it fits it perfectly. But it there's but there's so many little moments of utter brilliance to it at the yeah. same time. And you're right, Batman Brave and the Bold is, in essence, while it's its own thing, it really does, in its own way, pay homage to these early parody television show. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, as far as if you were to give this a score now, uh, 1 to 10, what would you say? Uh, it's still, because of its rewatchability, uh, it, it, still, it still scores pretty high. Uh, I would give it... Mm, you know, legend being eight to ten, I'd give it an eight. Um, yeah, I, it, I fall exactly the same place. Like when I want to watch Batman, this is not where I my brain goes. No, I feel like a nice nostalgia <laughs> kick purely on that. If you've never seen this before or never watched the '66, it's not going to hold up. Where where you're going to want to look? But if you do love Batman: Brave and the Bold, I would say if it's been a long time, maybe it's time to to give this a watch again. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're on the same line. You give it about an eight. An eight, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So with that being said, the other movie we're going to talk about this week is the 1998 Richard Donner's Superman, which, again, we mentioned it earlier, was so wonderful. Just go- I, It's been a while since I've um, watched it. I, I would say it's probably been about 15 years since I've seen this movie. Oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if it's been that long for me, but it's been probably maybe a good, like, eight to ten since I've watched it. And which is really surprising for me because I really adored the movie, but... You know, between like with all the shows that we have to watch, all the shows outside of the shows that we podcast about that I watch, you know, keeping up with newer movies, you know, with the newer DC universe and things like that, it's understandable how sometimes movies that you love can still go by the wayside for a little while. And, you know, but I, I think in all honesty, that time that you take away from it makes it even more special when you go back. And that's exactly what happened with watching this. It's, I, it, it kind of felt like for me, this was the, it felt like watching it again for the first time. It did. It really did. And it's, I mean, even from, you know, the, the whole opening sequence of the action comic and just flipping through the pages of that to the moment that the music hits 
and you get that signature, familiar, unmistakable John Williams score. And, you know, the bump, 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 like the moment it hits, like I instantly became like a huge, I instantly had a huge smile on my face and became a kid. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and now what's kind of funny too, like not just the music. I, I don't know if you picked this up and obviously we're going to get into the movie a lot more. Um, man, John Williams does the score here, but did you notice there's little pieces of music that you can see where he took some sounds and kind of themes that carried into places like Jurassic Park later. Oh yeah, a sequence early, early on when they're when they're in Smallville, um, right when Jonathan Kent passes away, and there's there's a line when they're leaving the cemetery, and it's the theme. It's the first two notes of the Jurassic Park theme, and I'm like, wait a second, and like my brain desk like clicked. Because I actually was I had headphones on. I was listening to this in five one like virtual surround uh, late at night last night when I was watching this and it was very just like engrossed and invested. But all these little things started kind of catching. And then even like little moments that happened uh, early on in the film as well, where like, hey, that sounds a little bit like some of the early notes and like songs that he used in Star Wars a year before. Things like that. And we're like, man, there's such a beautiful John Williams quality to that score and you start noticing things that sound a little bit like same, but they're not like you can, they have this, it's the same feel and tone, but man, that, that whole soundtrack through and through of this movie, I forgot how stunning the whole thing was because just all those little pieces to it were just, just phenomenal down to like the bumbling song. When you hear, when you, when you see Otis and yeah, Yo, Lex, and all these things, but and uh, and, the, and can you read my mind? Which is the name of the track from when he's flying with Lois, and it's oh, yeah, uh, <sighs> it's it's that wonderful track that you hear during yeah, you know, their, their flight over you know the world and through Metropolis and the beginning sequences when you're on Krypton, and all of these pieces are so just like, and they each scene and every place that they're at is all so unique to each its zones and areas when you're in smallville the sound of that the movie is very different and when you move into metropolis it's got another feel when you're in krypton when it's kind of romantic uh, like romanticized when it's lois and superman flying all these pieces and they're all so wonderful and so stunning and everybody thinks that's the the first couple main notes of that that music but man it's so much more than just those couple a couple bars that people remember and hold near and dear, you know? Oh, no, I, I agree with you completely. And it makes me want to ask you the question. And I'm very curious to your answer to this, because in all honesty, if somebody asked me this question, I don't know what I would answer. I think I know what I would lean more towards, but I'm curious. What do you consider more iconic for John Williams, Superman Star Wars? <sighs> it's, it's, it, it is. It's a really hard question to answer because it, it, they're only a year apart from each other, for one. Option C, Indiana Jones. Moving on. No. <laughs> oh, no, I would never choose India. Well, I mean, Indy's iconic in his own right, too. Yeah, it is. Jaws. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> there's so much. John Williams. Like, in, the, in this era of John Williams, 1976 to, God, like, 1989, man. Or not even to, like, to, like 1993, like, all the way out to Jurassic Park and everything, man. Like... The man has just wrote some of the greatest scores of all time, and I, I, I don't think you can choose or pick between any of them. They're all so special to the films that they represent, um, because I, I don't think it's like, you know, 
yeah, I, there's no way to pick. There really isn't. No, I, I don't. All, all of these movies are so special to me for all different reasons. I yeah. Mean, Superman, like, you, if you think about most of these movies, you can think of the taglines for just every one of them. But every time you somebody says that, those scores immediately crop up in your mind when somebody says Star Wars or Jaws or Indiana Jones or Superman or Jurassic Park. You hear that soundtrack plays in your head immediately. Um, it's, they, there's nothing like it, and there has not been anything like it in such a, an incredibly long time uh, where they've just those those scores and themes have prevailed so. no I, I and i agree with you completely i mean it's one of those things that like when i again when i was re-watching this and that opening sequence of you know with, with that iconic music i've listened uh, not only have i i seen this movie enough times to know you know what's going on even though it has been a while i've listened to that soundtrack so many times in my life that I, I, I know every note to that score mm-hmm. and not just that opening theme. Like, uh, again, like you mentioned, like the bumbling with Otis or can you read my mind and the, the closing credits? Like I could, I know that score so well in my head that I could literally sit here and conduct it because trust me, I have, <laughs> I've conducted it when like I was in band in high school and things like that. I've, meaning conducted it by myself like i didn't have an orchestra in front of me but right. it, it's so iconic and it's I, even though i haven't listened to it it's so etched into my brain that i'll never forget it no not at all what now one of the big things because it's been so long and i you know i started watching this at like 2 a.m last night and maybe like not quite as late maybe like around like 1 a.m and uh, I remember popping on my headphones, getting ready to sit down and watch it. And I start the movie and I pause it because I had to get up real quick just to, you know, like, grab something to drink or whatever it was. And I was like, there's another two, and <laughs> two hours and five minutes of this movie. I'm like, uh, from this old, it was, that was unheard of. 1978, to have a two and a half hour long superhero movie um, was just crazy absolutely absolutely just insane like and that was what was so interesting going back and watching it because man this movie just flies by no pun intended oh total pun intended total pun intended (laughs) uh but no you're absolutely right it's it's back you know back in the 60s and 70s when films are coming out i I think average length of time was anywhere from like an hour and 35 to maybe an hour and 45 and to have a movie with a running time of two hours and 23 minutes, um, you know, I, I kind of find it akin to almost Titanic because Titanic at that time, you know, we were at the time Titanic was released, I think in 98, 99, the average running time for movies was between 145 and two hours. And if not a little bit longer and Titanic was the first movie, I think with the exception of a few, um, I think like the Kenneth Brenner version of Hamlet from the nineties ran about a good three and a half hours. And you know, there, there's another, a couple other movies that you could put in there too. But Titanic was the first major motion picture release that ran like a good three hours. And in its day, Superman was kind of the same thing. It was a major motion picture release where most of the movies you were sitting through within an hour and 45 minutes, you were out of the theater. And an hour and 45 minutes, you still have almost another 45 minutes left of the movie. And you got to look at the, if you look at it too, 
one of the things that I paid attention to is and, – and I'm totally okay with it in this movie. Like one of the things we complain about nowadays when it comes to superhero movies is they spend too long on the origin. But you look at Superman and they took a good 40 minutes before you ever see him even in the Superman costume. Oh, it was almost longer than that. I think it, was, it well, I think it's between like 40 and 50 minutes before you. It's 40 and 50 minutes. And it's at the same time, that's the first time you even see Christopher Reeves. Yeah. It's that point in time in the movie, which is insane to think about. But you, but um, when you look at this movie, though, and you look at the time that it was released, there was nothing else Superman other than the comics. So this was breaking ground not only because you had a, a longer superhero movie in theaters, you had a superhero movie in theaters in general, um, but you're introducing – I mean, you look at the world today, everybody knows who Superman is. Everybody knows his backstory. Everybody knows where he's from. Even if you've never seen the movies, you know who Superman is. You know what he looks like. You know, uh, you know, you know where he's from. But at that time, you were introducing Superman to a whole new generation of people who may not have been familiar with him. Well, um, you know, they might have known his look, but they didn't know his origin. So at that time, you're okay with a 40-minute origin story. Well, it's not even that new. It was so special about this movie. It's something I completely forgot about. It's the moment that movie starts and you have the black and white Warner Brothers curtain and it's June 1938 and you're looking at the cover of Action Comics. Yeah. And you have this kid telling the origin of Superman. Uh, well, not the origin, but you're, you're it, it's essentially the narrator of this movie that's bringing everyone in as a child talking about a comic book. And the world and how the depression, how things changed everything. And man, what a really just beautiful, beautiful opening that I forgot 100% ever happened. It's such a small little piece that you, you don't even correlate or connect. And man, um, what a strong, beautiful, powerful opening. That's just reminding everybody this is where this character came from. This is when this character was originated uh you know all these pieces and man it makes you just it makes you start to smile in the very first few moments of this movie yeah no absolutely it's it's a wonderful opening uh, to the film and you know again you know going on with that that 40 minute origin again it's like it's one of those things that when you're watching you don't mind it at all even though – even like as somebody like you and I who talk about Superman, you know, we, we have all these different versions from Cavill to Tom Welling. I, I still have to say after re-watching this movie and seeing Christopher Reeve not only as Clark Kent but also as Superman, don't get me wrong. I love Tom Welling. I thought he was wonderful as Clark in Smallville. Um, you know, Brandon Routh, I thought was a great portrayal in Superman Returns and even Cavill now after Justice League. I'm, I'm a fan. Nobody will ever stand up to Chris Reeves. And you know what though, too? It was the nuance of his performance. Him as there's those great sequences when you see him, um, shifting from being Clark to, to Superman in the same scene and watching him put on a pair of glasses, a hat, you watch his body to shift and change, like in such a major way, um, like the way that he gets this goofy expression on his face and smile and kind of just looks disconnected as Clark Kent. Uh, he hunches his body down a little bit. The way he carries himself, the tone of his voice completely alters and changes. Um, 
it's not just a pair of glasses for him and then boom you know i'm superman now when the moment they come off like the posture and everything about his performance was so dramatically different i never noticed that that much as a kid it was like nope just the glasses come off shirts torn open ta-da superman um but there was so much more, and it was so great to watch that last night because, man, I was just in awe of those sequences and just looking at that visually um, because, yeah, it was it was just, just the body language and how different it really was. The, the closest I think I've ever seen that was when we actually saw Tyler Hoechlin when we first met him in Supergirl. Yeah. When we see him on, you know, the, you know, the street corner – uh, picking up, uh, you know, a, a copy of the Daily Planet outside of the office and bumping into somebody and be like, oh, sorry, excuse me, and kind of like the arms up, kind of like trying to not get in people's way, things like that, knocking over stacks of papers, that clumsiness and those mannerisms. I think he's the second, uh, only second to Christopher Reeves, I can ever say, as far as going that far above um, with that, that, that body language that makes the character feel so dynamically different. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. The way he portrayed the character, you honestly believed. And even now, in you know, it, at an older age than we were when we first saw this, even having seen all these different versions that we've seen since then, you can still rewatch this movie and believe that Clark and Superman are two totally different people. And it's all in the way that Christopher Reeve portrayed that character. And he right. portrayed it brilliantly. He really did. Um, one of the other things, too, that was really fun to watch with this movie was, man, you see the origin of the Marvel formula all over this movie, everywhere across this movie. Every one of those standalone first first Marvel films that we've seen leading up to uh, Infinity War, that formula that we always say, it's like, oh, it's a Marvel movie. It's going to do this, then this, then this, and these plot beats, and this way it moves and motions, and the first time you see the hero and the way everything kind of rolls out, man, it follows this, the Richard Donner formula almost to the letter across the board from everywhere from the first time we have Captain America to Iron Man to Thor to Doctor Strange, Black Panther, all these, all these classic characters that we love so much that have been a part of, a part of this new era of superhero films. And you see where it all comes from. You see every ounce of where that comes from in this movie when you watch it. And it kind of makes you respect them um, going back to this film because they're like, no, this is the one that started and started doing it and did it right. So, yeah, I mean, and you look at you have to look at one other thing, too, as well, in that. Again, this was the first time we were seeing like a superhero movie on the big screen at the time. And the the confidence that the studio must have had in this movie to introduce three villains that you would not even meet until the sequel um i don't think that was by happenstance i think both of these movies were probably planned at the same time oh yeah uh well i, I if memory serves correctly and i could be wrong in this but i'm pretty damn sure that superman and superman 2 filmed back to back well, they were released two years apart, but that doesn't mean anything. That could be just due to reshoots and, and things like that. And actually... Well, no, I'm, it, I'm saying Richard Donner, Richard Donner shot the movies back to back. Well, yeah, because there is a Richard Donner of the sequel. Right, but while things were in process after the first movie, going into the second is when things went a little crazy. And we had a new director come in and things changed in all these pieces, but 
you know, if 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 my brain is working and firing on all, all cylinders at the moment, uh, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened here. So you really had a lot to go on here. Uh, that's why you had Marvel and Brando had sequences in the Richard the Richard Donner cut for Superman Two because he was on set already. You know, oh yeah, yeah, all these little pieces that got correlated and connected and. Uh, and it's so funny watching this movie, too, because like when we're introduced to Krypton in the very beginning, Krypton, as they constantly <laughs> say in the beginning of this until you get to perspective of it later when he actually says Krypton. Um, but I mean, like, I completely forgot that Nan and, uh, you know, like, you know, and, and Ursa, Ursa all, all were introduced in the very first scene in this movie. I completely forgot that at all. And. I forgot the whole Phantom Zone thing was even brought up in this movie in one of the first scenes. Completely forgot it. And um, there was so much that my brain correlates to Superman 2 with Superman 1. And I'm like, man, there was so much I forgot that didn't happen. And then you watch this movie, you're like, man, it's just ingenious on how beautiful it is going from this great story of watching Krypton's destruction, which was done in a really wonderful way um, in this movie in the beginning. I mean, uh, yes, you know, technically now it looks kind of cheesy and, and, and silly as far as the way the sets and designs and everything look, but um, beautifully acted and portrayed though, still, uh, you know, budget and you know, time era aside. Um, and it was done with such, conviction and gravitas and you know marlon brando gives this really wonderfully great performance and we we see all these pieces and we hear those great wonderful lines um that come back that we we talk about when we talk about shows like supergirl where we see the you know we talked about this past season the father becomes the son the son becomes the father all yeah. those come from this beautiful movie that we we, we kind of take for granted nowadays in in this kind of new golden age of comic book movies but uh, you know, you go through these great scenes and then you go to the Kents, you know, seeing, you know, this child, you know, land, land in, in Kansas. And then you see Clark as this bumbling kid uh, that's kind of holding everything back on the football field and getting pushed around, but being a little bit cocky. And then we see this great sequence where Jonathan passes away. Uh, and that beautiful sequence in the cornfield where, you know, Martha looks out into the cornfield and sees Clark in the far distance, uh, kind of like, I have to leave. And all these beautiful scenes before we even get to um, seeing Christopher Reeves in these first 40 minutes of this movie. And they're just awe-inspiring and just gorgeous and wonderfully executed and just they, they have such magic behind them. And it, it, it's so amazing to, to watch this and to forget so much of this until watching this again last night and just walking away and be like, man, this is this is such a brilliant movie, such a wonderfully brilliant movie. And I immediately I almost immediately, if it wasn't for the fact that I just finished watching it right before we started recording, if I had more time, I and I probably still will as I'm editing this, um, I, I want to jump right into Superman, too. And I, I still because it's probably been just as long since I've seen that as I have the original Superman. Yeah. Uh, but, the, you know, there was a couple of the things I, I did want to bring up as well. You mentioned the, the death of Jonathan Kent and the beautiful scene that there was with that. And, you know, having not even met Christopher Reeve yet at this point, I, I've I've said a number of times that it's it's one of I say one of because there's a number one of my issues with. Uh, you know, Man of Steel and, and changing the death of Jonathan Kent. And yes, I know the argument can be made that that's not how Jonathan died in the comics. Well, actually, he kind of did 
later on in the revisions of the comic uh, and the relaunchings of the comic. And, you know, Smallville did it the, the proper way with, you know, the death of Jonathan Kent having a heart attack. But I had completely forgotten until I went through and I rewatched this movie that the movie actually addresses the one reason why I've been saying Jonathan Kent's death being that way is important to his character. And it's it's said that like the young Clark Kent even says all of these powers and all of these abilities I have and I couldn't save him. Mm-hmm. You're like that is important to his story. It's one of the main reasons why the moment at the end of the movie happens in him w- doing what he does to rescue Lois. And it's it's something that's very important to his character and it was lost in Man of Steel when it was changed. Mm-hmm. So I had completely forgotten until I rewatched this movie that that's where it all stems back from. And I had always known in my mind that was the reason why. But I'm starting to realize maybe that's the, maybe why I believe that so hard was because I actually heard it. It wasn't yeah. something I realized on my own. I actually heard it directly it's, from this movie. Because it, it, it was, again, it was a really touching scene and a really touching moment and kind of gets ingrained in you. And when I saw that again, I'm like, I understand now why some people um, – or it's, it was jogging my brain of understanding like this. Yeah, it was a problematic scene. I agreed. But this is a good reason, even a more solid defense of that reasoning. Um, because, again, this it, it's so integral. Yeah, I mean, yes, the end of Superman the movie is a little ridiculous. It is. Not lie. <laughs> it, it, it's more than a literal r- ridiculous, but so is the plot. Um, you know, <laughs> um, it's just about another movie we've seen recently. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, it, it's kind of funny that going through this, but like we're talking. I think it's like an hour and seven minutes, an hour and ten minutes in, but before we see that montage of Clark running around his first night as Superman in the city. And just kind of unveiling himself to all Metropolis and, and saving all these people. Um, and that's kind of crazy to think of in the, in the course of this movie. There's this, we don't really know how much time passes in Superman the movie when it were in present day Metropolis. It feels like a sort of two days. Um, it, you know, where Superman makes this big, huge entrance and everybody's like, holy crap. Um, you know, all eyes on him kind of thing. Yeah. And, it's a, it's a general small amount of time, but, it, you know, we obviously know it's not two days. It's definitely got to be a few weeks based off of what Lex is trying to achieve because there's some definite time jumps and some weird things that you don't think of that happen anymore in movies. Like when we finally do get a chance to meet Lex Luthor and Miss Tassmacher and Otis and, and, and these characters, they're like, OK, well, we have to go to this this country to find the kryptonite. And then we they 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 go from a scene there, and then all of a sudden they're they're stopping a missile uh, on the road uh, to change the coordinates, and all of this happens without you knowing why uh, at all. They don't <laughs> yeah. tell you the reason for any of this. And like I remember when I backtracked today because I was trying to see if I missed something. That I was again very late at night watching this movie, and I had in and out at a couple points, and I went back today to make sure I didn't. And I'm like, nope totally didn't miss anything it's just it's all brought up in one scene it is in that villainous monologue scene uh that we get from gene hackman later on in this movie where we do see this happen where it's this is the reasons why we didn't know before but now we do um but it can't get away with that nowadays in a movie because everybody's like what's going on (laughs) because there is a there is in this movie that is the one i think place i will say that there's a mass disconnect 
Because all this happens, then we get back to the Daily Planet, and Harry White calls Clark in. It's kind of like, hey, have you seen Lois? Have you seen Lois? So and so. Oh, she's here checking out what some... There's all this land being bought up, and they think it's some scam. Um, And then we get to another scene, and then we get back. Okay, well, we're going to use... We're going to pull Superman in. And in that same sequence, you you hear that high-pitched sound happen, and... You know, Lex communicating to Clark. And I love how all this knowledge comes from one article written by Lois Lane. <laughs> yes, I spent and the night with I, Superman. It's the I spent the night with Superman, and it's kind of like, oh, hey, uh, uh, crypt, uh, kryptonite's the only thing that can hurt him. Um, well, and it's not even in that article. It's just, boom. <laughs> no, I think Lex kind of discovers that on his own. He does. Yeah. And it's kind of like, how? How did you think, find this out? That's not even explained in this movie. And I'm like, huh? Okay, sure. Why not? Well, not, well, yeah, and not only, and not only that too, but the meteorite he happens to find, you know, in, in wherever it was. How do you know that meteorite came from his home planet? Like, there's no, there's meteorites oh, a, that, that hit this planet all the amazing. time. It's so amazing, and it's it's so like chewing the scenery exposition. He just to be like, well, we could have a sequence to explain this, but nah, it's okay. Let's let's just get to the next point. Uh, people want to see see Superman fly, you know, and that's kind of what it feels like at points in time. But um, you know, they do skip over some things, and I, I spent the night with Superman is is the catalyst to everything going wrong. So the true enemy of this movie, Lois Lane, um, <laughs> yeah, she revealed all his secrets uh, oh, yeah. in the article. But I mean, you're right; it's <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, you look at the tagline of the movie itself: "You'll believe a man can fly." It's it's one of those movies that when you went to go see it, and even now when you rewatch it, you, you check reality out the door. You so th- these plot holes and you know devices that they use, it, they don't matter. I mean, they you you really. still enjoy the movie the way that it is. Um, but you know, you mentioned you know Gene Hackman as you know, as Lex Luthor, I mean, we praised Christopher Reeve on his portrayal of, of Superman, which rightfully so. But, I mean, you got to give Gene Hackman and Ned Beatty credit as well for their portrayals of Lex and Otis. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, Otis is such a ridiculous character. <laughs> but I love it so much. Like, he's such a dumb, dumb, <laughs> dumb, lovable, like, like sidekick villain. Um, you know, like, he's kind of like the Igor to Lex Luthor's mad scientist, you know. And, and that's exactly what this is here. Uh, and, but it, it works. It works in such a great way. And like the sequence where Otis gets the you know the command codes wrong uh, for the missile, you know, yeah. and its trajectory, and it's it, it's a super overacted sequence between Otis and Lex. And you're just like, this is just great. I love every second of this, and it's so just silly and just goofy. And and it's like, and it never takes itself too seriously, but at the same time, it takes itself seriously when it should. And I think that's why this movie is as much fun as it is. Yeah. Um, it can poke a little bit of fun at itself, understands. But, I mean, some other sequences, too, though, I completely forgot about, like, the FBI agents tracking Otis down. And the first time we meet Lex, man, you see him pretty much essentially brutally kill an FBI agent off screen. Um, <laughs> By pushing him in front of a train. Exactly. And you're like, oh, God. I'm like, that's a little bit more twisted and messed up. Another scene that is very twisted and messed up is when uh, we see this test mocker laying in the middle of the road, and you have the army army uh, you know, general <laughs> kind of like, okay, well, we got a massager chest and uh, some um, 
mouth to mouth and everybody stand around me but turn away and i'm like that's a little rapey um <laughs> it's, it's a lot rapey that's not a little bit rapey uh, yeah no it was, it was uh holy crap man um <laughs> that that was that was the one moment that i was just like oh oh oh, oh that's messed up <laughs> so but you know what though it, you know speaking of that scene it made me realize too as i was watching there are a number of familiar faces in this movie um, Larry Hagman is the one that plays that major that does that does that, and another very familiar face, John Ratzenberger, is in this movie. I had completely forgot. John Ratzenberger is the radio operator that realizes that the missile is off course. Yeah, because um, I would have saw him like Cliff yeah. from Cheers. <laughs> that's, that's oh my pi- god, that's Pixar's good luck charm. Seriously, but yeah, it was kind of funny. Where catching those things out, out of the corner, I'm like, I totally know who that is. That's kind of amazing. Uh, Rich, um, I think Richard Donner even has a cameo in the film himself. I believe he does. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah, man. Um, such a fantastic movie. Such such a wonderfully beautiful film. And even everything we, we see with like Jimmy Olsen at the damn sequences and just his character as a whole. Uh, Margot Kidder is as Lois Lane. Perry White's fantastic. And it's everything, you know, and love about the, that classic Superman character and that more. They do such a beautiful job really paying all of that such great tribute. Yeah. And I could not state again on how much I absolutely loved and enjoyed watching this again. I do. I had, I'm telling you, I was a kid again. I had a huge smile on my face. Um, one of two things I wanted to bring up real quick and then I'll, I'll leave it to you if you had anything else. Left. Uh, there's one moment in the movie that I absolutely adored and it's, we, we, we praise you know, these current modern day movies and television shows for paying homage to the originals, you know, by, um, you know, these cheeky little moments or things that they say to one another or even bringing in actors from these previous roles. But one thing I think people miss in this original Superman is that even this movie does that to the comic book. There's one scene in particular, and it made me laugh, is that when Clark is transforming into superman for the first time and he does it in the revolving door before he goes to the revolving door he stops at the phone booth which is not a phone booth so he can't do it in that phone booth because in the earlier comics that's where superman changed he changed in full-on comic and in full-on phone booths so there's that little moment where he he stops by the phone which is an open booth kind of glances it up and down realizes that's not going to work and moves on yeah, and then it works so well. It works so so well because it's a great little gag that's that's tossed in that some people may just not even think about or 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 kind of consider. I mean, granted though, too later in the film you see him just jump out of the window and all of a sudden he, he transforms into Superman. You're like, huh? How does that work? But okay, sure, why not? Um, but it was it, it still worked and it was still fun and it, it, you don't overthink a lot of the, those little weird. Idi- you know, idiosyncrasies that happen in this film. Uh, one of the things I have to mention, though, is how awesome is Lex's evil lair in that movie? Oh my god, two hundred feet under under Fifth or Park Avenue, I think. I can't remember Wood Street, but yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and and like I love the swimming pool, and it's this old train station that's converted <laughs> over and bricked up, and man, it's such a cool evil lair. And like I forgot how stunning that set design was. This where the swimming pool was, all those pieces. Such a great, great design. We, and it's funny, we mentioned Ninja Turtles earlier in the podcast too, and that's very similar to to, uh, to the second movie. 
mm-hmm. and that their new their new layer is is an old train station. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up, and then uh, we can you know we can we can move on from this is putting the other utter ridiculousness aside of that final moment when Superman reverses the spin of the Earth to turn back time. Okay, let's put that aside because you're you're letting reality escape. And checking reality at the door. There's still another moment that I think is completely ridiculous. And that is, you know, we see, first off, that moment when Clark is holding Lois. Superman is holding Lois and he's angry. He takes that leap up into the air and he gives that man that I'm pissed off at the world face. Dude, I got chills Mm -hmm. seeing the acting from Christopher Reeve on that. But, you know, it's really nice and heartwarming when you see him standing outside of Lois's car after he's already reversed everything. And, you know, you kind of see, like, it, it almost looks like he's fighting back tears a little bit because he knows he saved her. But first off, the earthquake still happened. So how <laughs> did her car still not fall in? How did that? How did the earthquake not happen right at that spot, but it still happened everywhere else? That's one. <clears throat> oh yeah, no. Well, well, he he reverses time, but we don't see him stop any missiles that time. And you're like, well, so you're saying things should be dramatically worse? Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> well, because well, the earthquake happened because of the missile hitting the fault. So, uh, you know, if we know the earthquake still happened, the missile still hit, so he still failed. Why wouldn't you go back far enough to just stop the missile because you couldn't do it the first time? Like, that's one thing. Two, and this is more ridiculous of the two. You have Jimmy Olsen running up to the car and he's screaming at Superman, thank you for just leaving me in the road in the middle of nowhere. And then he he mentions, you know, I have to go. I have something I have to take care of. Flies off and leaves Lois and Jimmy with a car with no gas in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, he uh, did it again. Does it again. And (laughs) we see him late at night dropping Otis and Lex off in jail. And you're like, well, I'm sure uh, Jimmy and, uh, and and Lois probably haven't been bitten to death by snakes. Exactly. Dehydration or exposure. Oh, something God. along these lines. Frozen to death. Something. <laughs> you just left them in the middle of nowhere again. Like, it's just, it cracks me up. But I love it so much. Oh, God. It's such a fun movie. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, this is the ridiculousness of it all, too, though, of him lifting up all the ground that crumbles in the San Andreas Fault. <laughs> and it just kind of goes back up in huge, massive chunks. But sure. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, again, silly, dumb, stupid nitpicks. But, man, such a fun movie. Such a fun movie. So, that being said, I will ask you the same question that you asked me about Batman. Giving this a rating, what do you give it? It's a legend. It gets a 10 out of 10. Yep. Same with me. I had a feeling that was going to be yours because I knew that was was going to be mine. It's yeah, just... Um, it's such a beautiful movie. It's it's such a wonderful, great movie that uh, it, it's definitely a product of its time. But, man, you can see the DNA of this movie all over every comic book movie that still comes out today. Um, and it, it did it right first, and it's still done it the best. I think it, it's it's pretty much and practically a flawless movie that you can nitpick. But a lot of those nitpicks at that time, they, sh- they weren't going to be nitpicks because that's what movies were then. And I think that's OK. And I think you can look the other way on a lot of those problems now. And I, I, I think there's no reason to argue the points. We bring them up because it's amusing to us now um, because movies are very, very much a different beast. But this is where 
that that DNA and love of these comic book movies comes out today, and you still see directors like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, and people see people like Jeff Johns and all these other folks that come out, and James Gunn, and all these folks saying, "Man, the best superhero movie has already been made," and it was it came out in 1978, and um, I, I absolutely agree with every one of them. I think. No, I, I yeah, I'm I'm the same way. So, um. All right. I think with that being said, uh, let's just talk about the news so we can wrap this up. Yeah, man. Uh, all right. So let's get into some really basic things. It's a very thin, 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 thin week, but we'll bring up a couple things, please. So Hans Zimmer, we found out we're returning to uh, set the score for Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, we don't know too, too much yet as far as if he's going to be adding into what we saw previously, but I'm sure we'll find out a little bit more down the road. Uh, but as far as more World of DC movie news goes, I'm actually remembering to say World of DC now. Is, uh, <laughs> not DC EU. Right, not the EU. Uh, so, but World of DC, uh, we found out, we mentioned a little bit ago that Supergirl was a movie that people were really hoping is going to be one of the next things. Like Warner Brothers wants that to be the case too. Uh, but very surprising, the person that they're looking at to helm this film is Reed Morano. Uh, and she's most well known for her role in directing The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. So, uh, great choice, great pick, I think, in my opinion. I've never seen The Handmaid's Tale, so I, I, I don't know her it's, skill. It, 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 it's a little rough, a little depressing, and I think it's not for everybody, but it, it, it is incredibly well done. So. Okay. Uh, in addition to that, though, we did find out there has been some early testing reactions to Aquaman. And so far, they have all said that this is... And very much feels like a phase one MCU film through and through. So they said, if you like those, you'll pretty much love it. They didn't say it's the greatest thing of all time, but they definitely all said it's very good, uh, which is a positive. And now bear in mind, too, with things like this, that does not mean uh, that is the final cut of the film. This means this is the early reaction, which means they may go back, do some additional shooting, and they may do some additional editing, uh, cut some things down for timing and to help kind of tighten up a film. Um, a movie comes together primarily in its, if, you know, its post-production and it, its editing. So there's a lot to, that can still happen with that film, but I'm still very excited. I'm sure you are as well. So. I am. Yeah, I, I'm still very much so looking forward to seeing it. Mm -hmm. uh, jumping <clears> over <throat> into the side of the TV realm, let's talk a little bit about Supergirl. First off, we have some new casting announced. Uh, it's Anthony Conachi from uh, Almost Human and Witches of East End is going to be joining cast as a uh, fourth season regular, it sounds like. So right now we know he's going to be playing Agent Jensen, a uh, new DEO agent uh, recruited by Alex. So find out a little bit more, and it sounds like he's going to be struggling uh, to find his footing at the DEO. But it sounds like we'll see quite a bit of his character when he makes his first uh, debut on the show on October 14th. Now there is some casting changes that have happened. Previously, Brent Spiner, we found out, was going to be playing the vice president. Sounds like, unfortunately, because of some things that were happening in Brett Spine's personal life regarding his family, an emergency happened, uh, forcing him to have to step out of the role. Uh, we did find out that it's uh, being picked back up by somebody almost as equally as fantastic. Uh, well, not almost. I would say equally as fantastic, which is Bruce Boxleitner, a.k.a. Tron from Tron. Uh, he also had, obviously, roles on Babylon 5 as well, so very cool to see him stepping in, so... Uh, we know Shad was very, very excited about this. Yeah, Tron I think being I, one I, of his favorites. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that Tron being like, like his all-time favorite movie. Mm -hmm. So, 
Very cool. Uh, jumping into some crossover news, there's a little cool stuff coming into play. Uh, now, last week we did find out that Lois Lane was going to be making her debut alongside Clark uh, when they uh, join us for the crossover. But we did find officially now that Tyler Hoechlin is actually going to be making appearances in all three episodes of this year's crossover. This so is awesome. Like he is going to be a major, major role. Uh, involved in this storyline. He's not going to be just making a, a quick appearance, but he'll be going through. Uh, Grant Gustin did come out this week and say, I can 100% confirm I have scenes with Superman. So that's a really exciting, exciting... Dude, it's, it's basically becoming an adaptation of the Justice League, which is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Superman, Supergirl, Batwoman, you know, we have Arrow. Uh, and, and The Flash. The Flash. So, I mean, how fantastic is that that we're, we're, we're building up this, this amazing roster, not including... Uh, the other characters from, you know, these shows that are going to probably be making appearances as well. I'm sure we'll see Caitlin and uh, and Cisco in, in these these uh, appearances as well. So in addition to people like Guardian and, you know, Black Black Siren or Black Canary, all these people could have roles in this as well. So we're, we're going to see a true, I think, Justice League uh, somewhat formed up. And it sounds like a lot of signs are pointing to this is going to take place on Earth 38. So. I wonder. Uh, I'm excited to see how this is going. I am too. I'm wondering if two things. I'm wondering one, if we're going to see the Hall of Justice return, uh, in some way, shape, or form, since we've already seen it uh, in the the first crossover. Uh, but I'm also wondering, and if it's going to take place on another Earth, there's a possibility that's not going to happen. But um, I just want to see another Diggle scene of him realizing there's another super person out there like Supergirl. It's got to happen. It yeah. <laughs> it has to happen. Yeah. Uh, so jumping over to Arrow, though, because we're talking about Diggle, uh, there's a little bit of news regarding Felicity. It sounds like the future is about to come to pass. It sounds like this season we will be seeing uh, what was teased in Legends of Tomorrow when we saw Star City in 2042, I want to say it was, which is uh, we will see Smoke Technologies begin its uh, first foothold and kind of helps, like, you know, stating that that tree is going to more somewhat come to pass. Now things will be sl- slightly different because we know, obviously, some other pieces have changed, but Smoke Tech, it sounds like, will start its creation and they'll be breaking away from that Helix idea this coming year. So it's pretty cool. Uh, jumping into The Flash, we had some really awesome casting uh, that happened this week. With uh, It was, I think, uh, he previously appeared on America's Got Talent, also appeared on, I think, uh, the TV show The Void, and that is none other than Troy James, an amazing, amazing contortionist, uh, is going to be uh, making his uh, his debut as Ragdoll in the upcoming fifth season. Uh, it sounds like, in addition to the Void, he also was uh, on the Strain and Channel uh, Channel Zero, and also Shadowhunters on Freeform. So, very exciting to see his uh, his role in this. If you haven't gotten a chance. Definitely head over to facebook.com slash DC primetime where we posted this article. Uh, ben was nice enough to put a little clip up uh, of Troy James when he was on America's Got Talent and messing with Chris Hardwick, which was uh, <laughs> just, it, truly creepy and kind of terrifying. And, and he's man, he's going to be such a great, great pick for this role. And I can't wait to see what he can do. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty spot on casting, if you ask me. When you look at the character and what he can do and what Troy can do, it's I don't think there's anybody better. And if he's already appeared on other things, he already that means he's going to have the acting chops to be able to to bring this character to life, not just be a contortionist. So yeah, um, I mean, and Brent, again, too, it, it could go in numerous directions. They could bring in alternate voices, all these things they may do, uh, and use that classic like ragdoll mask. All these pieces could kind of 
tweak and alter what we actually see, but we do know he will be the body behind this character. And we'll see if anything else gets added to that before that episode airs. I believe that character is supposed to make his appearance within the first five episodes. I think it's episode four is when we'll see Ragdoll. So nice. that's pretty exciting. Uh, a big, big casting happening for Doom Patrol, uh, and that is none other than Brendan Fraser joining the cast to play Romance. He's still is- alive! Oh, actually, he's on a new show recently that, uh, that's been out there for a little bit now. And, oh, really? Uh, but, yeah, I, I forget what the current show is, but uh, he uh, he is indeed going to be uh, be um, playing Robot Man, which is fantastic. It sounds like they're in this article. They did confirm that Kelsey Grimer is 100% in talks to take on the role of Dr. Niles Calder as well. So Ooh. that uh, sounds like that cast and show is building up to be something pretty special. And our last news story for this week is uh, a little bit of news about the DC Universe pro- uh, you know, streaming service. Blah, blah, blah. Can't talk there today. <laughs> um but the DC Universe streaming program is going to have a weekly news show, and I think it's called the DC Daily. And we did find out officially that Kevin Smith is going to host the premiere episode of this on streaming services launched. So that's pretty cool that he's kicking off the inaugural episode. And uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, we have a lot to be excited about. So pretty cool. Yeah. And with that being said, don't forget to, we didn't mention it last week, but we do have that contest running over this summer where if you help us to get to 1000 likes by the time these shows premiere uh, in October, we're going to be giving away not one, but two annual subscriptions to DC universe. Mm -hmm. So uh, get out there, share our page, man, share the stories, get people to like our page because the closer we get, and that's, that's some pretty awesome stuff, man. You look at, it's what, I think it's going to be a 999 service or is it 799? I can't remember. Uh, I, I think they said it's nine 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 month, but uh, as far as this first appearance of DC Daily, now this is replacing DC All Access, which is the previous kind of news show. Uh, but we know that this stream is actually happening. This inaugural live stream of DC Daily that Kevin Smith is doing is going to take place on August twenty ninth. So it's actually this week, this coming uh, Wednesday. Now that's not um, going to be the launch of DC Universe no. at all. This is. This is this kickoff of what one of the normal content shows is going to be on that service. So DC Daily will be a part of DC Universe's streaming app. But the DC Daily is uh, kicking off for the first time with Kevin Smith behind and helming uh, the inaugural live stream event uh, this uh, this August 29th. So. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to try and watch it because I like Kevin. Um, yeah, so. Or at least uh, the half of Kevin we have left. Because <laughs> he has lost, I think he announced it today. Actually, I think he's down like fifty pounds. Yeah, which is which fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and he already lost a ton of weight leading up to that moment. So, yeah. really, really happy for him and all that. But uh, that does it for the news. Though, like I said, again, very, very short, thin week this week. Cool. Uh, all right. So, recommendations. I'm going to keep this very, very simple. Go back and rewatch Batman 1966 and the original Richard Donner Superman. Um, if you've never seen them before. Uh, shame on you for one, but two, um, you won't regret it. Batman 66 might be a little rougher if you've never seen it before, but I promise you, Superman, uh, it still holds up. Absolutely and, still holds up. And I agree, uh, on both of those. I will kind of, um, say if you're only going to watch one, watch Superman the movie and then immediately follow it up with, uh, the Richard Donner cut of Superman. Theory, yes. So. Yeah. That, that's a good one too. Cause it's yeah. that I'm going to be watching that probably while I'm editing this. So and you can skip number three and number four so it's okay hey. superman three and a quest for peace you have to just look on down the road and it's okay. <laughs> well 
I, I, I don't want to say too much. No, no, no. Yep. Don't say anything. Don't want to say anything else. Moving so, on. Yes. Uh, so with that said, cheap plugs, and then we can get on out of here for the week. But you can catch us. Obviously, as well as the rest of the podcast on the Next Level Podcast Network, Next Level Radio Online.com, Facebook.com slash Next Level Radio Online. And as we've mentioned in the past a couple times through this podcast, Facebook.com slash DC Primetime is where you can find everything for the Facebook page for this podcast. And again, we do have that contest running. We forgot to mention it last week, but we'll make sure to keep reminding you from this point forward. 1,000 likes by the time the show's premiere in October. If you had us hit us, help us hit that goal, we will give away not one, but two annual subscriptions to the upcoming DC Universe uh, streaming service. We have a long way to go on that. So how about this? If we hit 750, we'll give away one. At 1,000, we give away two. Sounds good. So give a little bit more incentive because uh, we're only, I think, about 120 away from that first uh, first first one we're going to give away. So uh, that's very attainable, folks. So Get out there, share, 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 and you could win a year subscription. Not a year, actually, 15-month subscription. Yeah, because you get universe. you get three extra months when you purchase the annual. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's – um. well, I got to look into that. I don't know if that was during the pre-order or if that's when uh, the well, – sub- The pre-order is still happening. So okay. We, it's, it's still not set to launch, I think, until they're saying November. So we'll have some time. So by the time the shows kick off, uh, it'll still be doable. Nice. Sounds good to me. Um, how about you? Your plugs. Uh, you can always find me at the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods over at nextlevelradioonline.com. Our most recent episode just went up a couple days ago, and that is our Jim Henson special. Uh, please give that a listen when you get a second. Uh, our next episode coming up will be uh, looking back at the filmography of Mel Brooks. Uh, and, well, I'm not uh, missing his this one. impact on comedy as a whole, which is massive. Um, in addition to, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit of Broadway and whatnot, so... Uh, very excited to to do that one, but this Jim Henson one is a ton of fun, uh, and it was so much fun to go back and look at that, so please give that a listen when you get a second. And a big special thanks to our good friend George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com. You hear his music each and every week of this uh, this ep- of our episodes. Blah. Uh, but yeah, um, man, like I said, he, he does... A, what, there's one of my favorite tracks that is uh, something that we initially found him through, which was this beautiful job with the Danny Elfman and John Williams Superman uh, and Batman scores meshed it and melded together. And uh, this is a perfect time to head over to his page and check that out because, man, after this episode, I know I'm probably going to be going to give that a listen again. So it sends chills up my body when I uh, get a chance to listen to that one. Nice. So, uh, all right, cool. As I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the podcast, uh, and we're not quite set yet on next week's plans. We do have two things in the works. Uh, if the first one happens in time, we will be bringing you that one and we'll announce it on the Facebook page as soon as we know so that you know it's something to look forward to. And trust me, if and when it happens, uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. This one is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't happen this week, hopefully it'll happen next week, and we do have a backup plan for what we're going to do next week. But um, we don't know which one we're going to do yet, so just keep an eye on the Facebook page, and we'll announce once we know which direction we're going to be going. But I think that's about it for this episode of the podcast. So uh, until next week, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace.